the Provoke Media Intersection series brought to you by Provoke Media and Praytel with production support from Marketeers. Hi, and welcome to the Provoke podcast. I am Diana Marzalek. I am with Provoke Media, and I have a repeat guest today. Um, we have Marjane Moore Roberts um, from IPD Dextra. And you are the Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer for that group, which is IPG's marketing and group and, and includes the PR agencies, correct? That's right. Okay, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to speak with you again, Diana. You too. I mean, you were here probably about a year ago or maybe a little bit over a year um, after the murder of George Floyd and, and the questions of DE and I were elevated. Um, to say the least, um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot has happened and maybe not happened since then. So I wanna talk about some of that, um, but we'll start with one of your recent efforts, which is the Dear White Parents Initiative that you and some of your colleagues um, put together. And you can tell us about that. And if you could start telling us also a little bit about the roots of that, because I understand that the roots of that project do date back to some of our, um, a year ago to some of the activity at that time. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think everyone, you know, as you said, um, coming out of the, the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, we all got super focused on DEI, um, you know, mostly around uh, the idea that what happens in the world, uh, specifically these events that are, um, you know, identity-based crimes, identity-based hate, that it absolutely affects uh, all of us in the workplace and, and particularly colleagues who belong to certain groups. Um, we definitely see it when there's police brutality um, or outsized police brutality against men of color, black men. And uh, we also saw it um, more pronounced with the Asian community as well. So, you know, as we were sort of all processing that event, I think um, the, the George Floyd event stood out significantly because it played out on TV in front of our eyes. And there was just it was just so, um, you know, hard to watch and it just hit everybody. Um, even if you had had heard of police brutality before, seeing it before your eyes really struck in a different way. And so coming out of that event, we engaged on a bunch of different conversations internally, many town halls, uh, really with the effort of helping people process what was happening, uh, offering support to members of our community, the Black community within our workplaces to show support. And we also had just, you know, what I thought of as an unprecedented amount of, of support and engagement and um, sort of outrage from our white colleagues as well. Um, it was just a multiracial, eventually a multinational uh, protest against what people saw happen with George Floyd. And as that was happening in many of these discussions, some of the things we heard from our white colleagues was that, you know, they were actually shocked a number of them, by no means was it all, but many, many, many were just shocked at what they were seeing and had never thought deeply or spoke, um, had, had deep conversations about racism. And uh, that was something that really stood out um, in those early days. Um, so if you, do, that's my day job, right? So if you juxtapose that with, you know, Marjane as the individual processing it in my life as well, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that started coming up in my, in my social media feeds was, 
more videos of Black parents starting to, you know, bring back up these conversations we have with our children to help them navigate, you know, these types of events in society and to help them really survive. <laughs> and, you know, one night, it was 1030 at night, I was watching one of those videos and, you know, probably either angry or crying because I was going back and forth <laughs> during that time. And after I saw one of those videos, I thought, you know, these are the same videos that we were watching in 2016 when Philando Castile, um, was murdered, Alton Sterling, you know, Eric Gardner, you know, Michael Brown. This is the same set of videos, the same kind of things that we were trying to do um, back then, five, six years ago. And it's not changing. Outcomes have not changed. And, you know, as I was watching and processing all of that, it just the thought struck me, you know, what if we flip this? What if we try to get more white families to talk to their children early and often about racism in the same way that black families have been having these conversations with young, young children for generations. What if we helped and in, in, encouraged, uh, enabled <laughs> uh, more white parents to have these conversations with their children um, when they were very young? Could we in fact change outcomes? Could we change the 400 year old trajectory of racism uh, by having these conversations earlier. So that was really the genesis of the idea. Um, you know, in that moment, um, I have been in conversations with, like I said, several people at work and because of the industry we are in, um, I, I sent one of our, one of my colleagues, my former boss, Matt Neal, a note, uh, a text message at night. And I said, you know, what if we you know, I sent him the video and I said, what if we tried to teach white families or encourage white families to have these conversations early and often? Could we get a different result? Could we potentially, um, you know, change these outcomes? And he thought it was a good idea. And he flipped it over to his creative, one of his creative teams that report under him uh, with the Brooklyn Brothers. And they, um, by the time I woke up in the morning, they were already working on a concept and it really took off from there. We went through the process of, you know, contacting an anti-racism expert, uh, a woman uh, who uh, out of North Carolina, uh, Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock. Um, and we also, um, you know, together we found her and she helped, you know, flesh out the concept. And then um, as that happened, we started looking for the right director. And we were very lucky to get Kevin Wilson Jr., who is an Academy nominated director for a short uh, that he wrote and directed um, a few years ago called My Nephew Emmett. So, you know, amazingly, um, it came together. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it was by no means was it a single effort. I it was my idea for sure. But, you know, once we started started talking about it and people started to see the opportunity of that, right? They started, what, what can we change outcomes? Can we use our platforms, our talents, our, the disciplines of our industry to make meaningful change around race and racism in our society? Once people saw that opportunity, many, many people got involved and it was really a cross-agency effort. Um, we had the support, you know, the, the fantastic support of Andy Polanski, who, um, really created the conditions within our network to uh, uh, allow us to collaborate across, you know, several five, six agencies, probably a couple dozen people, um, including some outside folks uh, who contributed to this work as well. So um, that's how it started. And, you know, we, we are in <laughs> getting it done and getting it launched was sort of phase one. And uh, now we're, we're going to be moving into phase two. Um, so a couple questions. Um, first, for sure. people who are not familiar with the campaign, what is the product? What is it that you created, you and your colleagues created? 
Oh, so sorry, we created a multi, it's a multi-platform campaign uh, called Dear White Parents, and it is a film, and it is a website um, where we are promoting, um, uh, uh, we're providing resources, encouraging and enabling white families to talk to their children about race. So the film is a three and a half minute short, um, and then there's a longer version as well, and it really takes a look at four white families, uh, parents and children talking about how they first became aware of race and racism in their lives. And the parents are telling their stories, the kids are asking a lot of questions. And what we really wanted to do was to model that behavior. We wanted to spark a dialogue, right? To get, um, to, to get these conversations started. And in addition to the film that you could see if you go to dearwhiteparents.guide, in addition to that film, we have age appropriate resources uh, as well as uh, a discussion guide to help parents talk about the film, ask questions, answer questions about what um, folks may see when they, when they look at the film. Um, so that's the product. And you know we really are very, very focused on making sure we were providing a set of materials um, asking thought-provoking questions, which the core of it is how old were you when you first became aware of racism, right? You know, when we looked at the research around this topic, um, you know, one of the studies that was taken around the time of the George Floyd murder was um, uh, a study that said of 2,000 adults, 65% of white adults said that their parents rarely or never spoke to them about racism when they were children but of the 35 how, how rare are these conversations in the home but you just answered it so it's very rare these conversations that's right trying to spark it's but especially pre-george floyd right before right. george floyd okay. and then of those adults whose parents did have these conversations with them when they were children those folks were more likely to have similar conversations with their own children when the time came. So what we were seeing is this opportunity for intergenerational impact, right? Again, black families have been talking about race and racism with their children for generations. I certainly, my parents had the conversation with me. If you watch the film, you'll hear our expert talk about the conversation and her experiences. And no matter who we show this to in, in, in terms of black and brown people, everyone said they had a conversation about race when they were very young, most of the time about the time they, they went to school, kindergarten age. And you know the other insight we had is that children as young as four years old can show signs of racial bias as early as four years old, right? And um, when, when, when children were, you know, certainly tons of examples uh, of that, that children by no means are intending harm, but based on what they've, they've learned about the world around them, based on what they've observed uh, in the world around them about, you know, who gets to be in charge, who gets to make decision, who's in trouble, you know, what they see, you know, who are the princesses that they see when they watch TV, who are always the good guys. Children are able to intuit and pick that up. And so those biases get embedded early in the psyche, right? And children um, begin to, uh, what, what the research shows is that children, white children in particular, begin to understand their power, that there's power in being white in this culture. And they begin to act that out in subtle and certain ways. And so um, when in the camps, Dr. Rhonda, uh, her organization is called We Are, the camps that she runs, she sees that play out. But once you point that out and help children understand that, understand the concept of fairness, those same children can also become advocates of fairness or advocates for equity. 
So children have the ability to understand what's going on around them. It doesn't matter if you teach them. No parent is teaching their kid directly. Well, very few parents, but it's rare, rare that a parent would teach their, their child anything other than kindness. And most parents are, are doing their best in teaching all of these things that make sense for, um, you know, wanting to have a child who is kind, but the world around them, the world around us, the way our society is built, the systems that are in place, the things we see on TV, how we experience, you know, authority, who gets to be in the decision-making um, positions of things, that, that sends a message as well that young children are able to pick up and they start to put all of these things, all of these different signals from society together. And uh, these, these, these ideas are, are these, you know, systems of race-based advantage and disadvantage become quite evident. And then children can begin to act out accordingly uh, based on how they experience the world around them. So Unless- it is Starting in, in the home, like so much starting in the home, the racism or anti-racism, not racism, is it really does start going and it starts in the home. So it's really a right. parent education to some degree at this point. Yeah, and I would I would I would alter that just a little bit. I say it starts when children are very young. It can it and, and again it's not necessarily coming from a parent or someone in a family that's teaching a child mm -hmm. to not, you know, about um, to be racist. Right. Um, but the the what does have to happen because of the way society, our society is, and because again, children are able to pick things up throughout the society, it's up to the parents to disrupt that. Okay, right. 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 To yeah. disrupt that because the there really is nothing you have to do right to pick it up you know if you consider the things that are happening in the world around you so what we wanted parents to know is just like the talks you have about sex mm -hmm. just like the talk you have about drugs mm -hmm. all of those really important talks that you have to have with your children to help them get ready to engage with the world we want parents to add the talk about race and racism because if, if we're not teaching our children about racism, if we aren't the ones teaching them, then in the film we ask, then who is? And the same way I don't want my, my daughter learning about sex from the internet <laughs> or from you know a 14 year old, her, her classmates <laughs> in the world is the same way that um, I, you know, I don't want her to learn about racism. I want her to learn about those important things from people who love and care about her well-being and, and who will invest in the long uh, process of, of helping her understand something completely in, in the most responsible way. So we thought this was an opportunity, uh, again, to change, change the dialogue, to do something different. Mm -hmm. We've been addressing racism in the same way for a long time. Um, and it hasn't changed outcomes in a significant way. It doesn't mean that we haven't made progress, but again, when you're looking that we're still in 2020, seeing a man live on TV being murdered, um, you have to wonder what we have to do something different. And can we create a new reality around race? Can we raise an anti-racist generation? That's what we really set out to do. Wonderful. And so you said you're in phase one. Phase one was the launch a month ago is or mm -hmm. and now. Yeah. So where does this go? I mean, I don't know if you if it's been out there long enough to get traction in the bigger republic. I know you've gotten some attention from people who know about it, but I don't know if it's gotten, you know, the the the, the start of what you're looking for. And then what is phase two? Is that what you know, where does it go from here? Yeah. So our goal is to to spark these conversations. Uh, you know, 
the model that we thought about is how do we get these grassroots conversations happening all over the country, all over the world, right? If you think about a model for a book club, for example, you have a group of people who are familiar, who know each other, who might um, you know, consume a piece of content and then begin to have a dialogue, a discussion, a debate about that content. And so one of the core components that we know as parents, you know, we, we have communities of other parents. And so the ideal, the ideal would be for you know, parents around the country, around the, the world to host these conversations, perhaps as a viewing party, take a look at the film together. And then as parent groups talk about how are we gonna teach our children about race, about racism, and ultimately how to be anti-racist. So phase two is about really instigating that grassroots approach, uh, providing additional resources. You know, on the website, we have three objectives um, with uh, dearwhiteparents.guide. The objective number one was to raise awareness about the issue. We're using the film to do that. And again, there's two films. The three and a half minute film is just examples of how those conversations might go. Some of the questions your children might ask, some questions you might ask your children. So there's examples there. And then the longer film, which is uh, about 11 minutes, that film is an exploration of the parents and our expert about how old were you when you first became aware of race and how? So again, we're trying to get people in that, that mode of understanding that all of us had an experience, right? That helped us understand what race and racism is in our society. What did we do with that? What can we do with that? And how can we do something different with this next generation that could potentially change outcomes. So that was the first objective, raise awareness about the opportunity using the film. The second objective was to give a set of resources to parents um, who may be ready, who are asking, you know, we have parents even within our own organization saying, how do I talk to my kids about this? And so we worked with a, a, a consultant who does anti-racism education to help us build age appropriate resources, right? So if you go on the site, you have a discussion guide that our partner, uh, the Anti-Defamation League, helped us develop. Um, and that uh, is a discussion guide specifically about the film. Then you have resources for parents. You have resources for parents who have children between the ages of three to five, children between the ages of six to nine, you know, uh, I think it's 10 to 13 and then 15 plus, uh, uh, 10 to 13, 11 to 14, 15 plus. So it's a, a, it's a really robust set of resources as well, articles, podcasts, films. We really wanted to um, uh, encourage and enable parents who are ready and want to have this conversation to do so. So that was the second point of the website. And then the third piece was really, how do we provide a platform or how do we put the energy of our industry behind anti-racism organizations who have spent their lives and their careers, individuals and organizations, who have been fighting racism, systemic racism and racism for a long time. And so, you know, one of the things we did just last night is we hosted um, a viewing party with our, our core partner, We Are, uh, which stands for Working, um, working to Extend Anti-Racism Education. So we're using that platform to have, again, small group conversations. We have breakout groups after we did a panel discussion. Uh, after, after we watched the film, uh, we talked about the film and then we went into small groups to help, you know, the parents who were there talk about what they saw. What does it mean for you? Does it seem familiar? Does it motivate you? Do you think you could have these conversations? So, you know, phase two is really about that grassroots effort and extending the conversation in a way that gives us the best opportunity to create a new reality around race for the next generation. 
Um, it, it's particularly interesting about you bring up the role of the industry, and we could say this about business in general, but for the last year, we've been talking a lot about racism and equity and diversity in the workplace. Um, and yet you're a company and, and, and a group who's taken on own to, to further that message to be out of the workplace, beyond the workplace, not out of the workplace, but beyond the workplace. And clearly that is part of the role, or you believe that is part of the role of our industry. Hmm. I do. I, you know, I think that, you know, we do, we, we, we influence hearts, minds, and behaviors over a lot of different issues, right? right. You know, we do, we do work about, you know, tell, stop smoking. Um, we do uh, go get your vaccine. We do work around safe sex. We do work around drive this car, not that car. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we use the, the power, the influence of our industry, the talents, the talents of our industry. There's a number of ways that we use that. And, you know, one opportunity we have, it doesn't mean that these things you have to do one and not the other. It's not an either or proposition. But one of the opportunities we have is how do we use the best of who we are, the best of our talent, talents to influence hearts, minds, and behaviors around a meaningful issue that can help um, drive positive change in our society. And so every organization in my mind has an opportunity to do that to the extent that you have a platform, to the extent that you have the resources and to the extent that you have the attention of a group of people and that you can spark a dialogue, a much needed dialogue, uh, you know, my point of view is that we absolutely have a responsibility um, to, to, to do this because it, it doesn't, it's a ripple effect, right? The, the, the biggest lesson, uh, really we started this conversation in 2016, again, with Philando Castile and Alton Sterling and that sort of, if you remember those things happened in close succession, it was Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, the Dallas police shootings, right? I think the Pulse nightclub was in there. It was just one thing after another. And people were coming to work overwhelmed and really trying to still be brave and, and do their job. And, you know, it was the new CEO at, um, you know, uh, you know, Tim Ryan, I think at, at PwC, who really started to say, how can we expect people to show up authentically and give their best to us if we're not acknowledging all of who they are. And so that conversation sort of started then, but fast forward to 2020 last year, it was so pronounced because again, um, there was simply no doubt. <laughs> the facts were not in doubt for change, right? Because we all were seeing the same thing. And when I tell you, you know, every, it wasn't just, you know, my black colleagues, it wasn't just black colleagues who were crying. It wasn't, you know, just, just it was everybody. Everybody, uh, multiracial, multinational. If you remember, it started in Minnesota and went all the way across the East Coast, got to the UK, went through Germany, Paris, all the way to Asia. If you think about the power of that. And remember, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So all of us already feeling the, the angst of that and the pressure of that. And it's early in the pandemic. So we don't know how long it's going to last. We're talking about the outsized impact of the pandemic on people of color. So we're already feeling that, right? We're already sort of in the midst of that. And then this thing happened. And what we saw are people saying, you know, what I saw, you know, when I thought about all the people who were saying, what can we do? It wasn't, it was everybody. 
it wasn't just our black colleagues, it was also our white colleagues, like, how can we change this? We want a different outcome. And that dialogue, you know, when you start to get that energy with a group of people an energy, right, that really sweeps across the world, you have to do something new with that. You know, at what point have we had that level of attention on this issue in particular um, in the world? And so what's the opportunity? There are many things we can do. We certainly do not believe that this is the, the a single silver bullet, um, but it was something that we think can change, can at least spark a new way of thinking about it. And Black families are going to continue to have these conversations. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, we're, we're not saying, okay, we're picking it up and, and putting it on someone else. That's not what we're saying. We're saying white families, white parents have a unique opportunity to the extent that you have a, the earliest influence on white children. You have a unique opportunity to begin to help people think about this, this topic, to help white children understand, recognize, and resist racism early and often. What would that mean for outcomes? Could we change the the four hundred year old trajectory of racism? And you know the that that is the biggest question. You know we all can do something. What can we do? What if by having this conversation you can become part of a solution, part of a change? Mm -hmm. And um, that's our goal. That that's why we did the project. And you know that's that's what phase two will be about. Right. Because I I mean I don't know what your um saying it wrong, but how far this could go? I mean, this could be a school curriculum. I mean, how far can some effort like this go as far as you can push it, I guess, and somebody else can take it and run? Um, absolutely. I think, listen, I think the, the idea about this, this project is we wanted to reach people who were asking, what can I do? How do I have these conversations? And, you know, we, we spoke with one of the parents. We have four families in the film. Um, with children between the ages, I think seven to 16. And you know, one of the, one of the families um, participated in our internal launch and he said, you know, somebody asked him about, you know, is this for social media? Is this sort of woke washing? And you know, what, are, what are you hoping to get? And he said, the only thing I'm hoping to get is that the next time my little girl asks me why people are protesting about racism, that I have a better than I had the day that people were protesting for George Floyd. Right. This is not about what I what I put on social media. It's not even about me anymore. This is about my child. And he said, and I was just so motivated by that idea that he says, this is not for the world. You know, today it's about, you know, my little girl. And, you know, even though the ambition of this project might be, you know, this big, this right. big hairy thing, we're going to change the 400 year old trajectory of racism, the impact that it has in real time every day, right? The impact, if it means that one less child will experience, you know, a, a microaggression, if it means that, you know, one more child will have a new advocate to help fight racism, right? If it means that, you know, a child as young as three or four, instead of, you know, inadvertently and unknowingly um, causing racial harm can be an advocate for racial equity, then that's something that's happening today. That in fact is changing the world because all, that's all we have right in front of us is the moment. But over time, all of those moments, all of those micro, those micro actions, those micro sponsorships, the micro equities, the, the, the fewer, the fewer microaggressions, that is world changing, right? And so our ambition is really about 
that one conversation, right? The beginning, starting the conversation with, with your children in your house. And, you know, I had another colleague who, uh, you know, I thought is just so wise after, after spending time on the project and really helping. And, you know, I have to emphasize too, I get the, the privilege of talking about this with you today, but there literally were just dozens and dozens of people behind the scenes who volunteered time, who wanted to help, who contributed to this project. And um, one of my colleagues said to me, the reason I love this project and I'm so, I so want to work on it is because I can have a conversation with my kid. I don't have to get out in the street and protest. You know, I, it's not that I don't want to, but this thing right here is available to me today, right? Is to just say, what do you think about racism? It doesn't have to be help, uh, a big, scary conversation to start with. It's simply, what do you know? What do you know about racism? What do you think about it? You know, it's not a political statement at all. We, that's not what we're, we're, we're promoting. We're saying, talk to your children, just talk to your children about racism. Help children, white children, young white children understand what racism is, uh, help them recognize it when they see it and help them resist it. Okay. And that's a very, very um, intimate and personal choice for parents to make in their homes. It is, it is. And, and I'm going to end our conversation on that because for me in, included, and I do what I can, but it really resonates that it's something should be basic, you know, but it's something manageable. It's something that people can do. And not everybody, Absolutely. no matter where their heart is, can go out and protest, right? Or not everybody can for whatever reason, but this is something in your home that you can do with your child. So I, um, right. congratulations on putting that together. And I really appreciate the effort um, on all the levels. So thank you. Uh, well, thank, uh, you're very welcome. And thank you for letting me talk, talk about it again. Um, I just have to give enormous credit to Andy Polanski and IPG Dextra um, just for having, having the heart and really um, uh, creating the conditions where anyone who wanted to get behind this project within our company was able to do so. And I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to talk about it with you. And, and I'm deeply grateful for all of my colleagues who got behind the vision and really brought it to life. That's great. And I have a feeling we will be talking here again about more, <laughs> more wonderful <laughs> things. So, and to follow you along the, the trail. So thank you. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for listening to the Provoke Media Intersection series brought to you by Provoke Media and Praytel with production support from Marketeers.